Shalom, and welcome to the Israel Policy Pod. I'm Neri Zilber, a journalist based in Tel Aviv and a policy advisor to Israel Policy Forum. We have an important episode this week with our good friend Tal Schneider, who's back with us. Tal is, of course, the chief political correspondent at the Times of Israel and Zman Israel. There are a lot of ways, I think, to discuss and analyze the current crisis in Israel, judicial, constitutional, economic, social, security, etc. But it's fundamentally a political story and a political crisis, which we'll get into with Tal. But first, a few quick thoughts for me. Uh, all right, so we're recording this on Wednesday evening, and this is important because the pace of events here uh, is just, for lack of a better word, pretty crazy. But let's set the table for our conversation with Tal with a little state of play of where things stand. First, the judicial reform, overhaul, destruction plans of the Israeli government officially began in earnest this week. The coalition passed a handful of bills in the Knesset in a first reading. You need three or in some cases four readings for a bill to become law as part of its bigger judicial overhaul package. We'll get into the details with Tal in a moment, but bottom line, these bills, all told, would completely remove the ability of the Supreme Court to review laws or ministerial appointments, as well as hand the government complete control over the appointment of judges. Good stuff. Second, the anti-government protests have grown. This past Monday, like the Monday before, tens of thousands of Israelis took off work and went up to Jerusalem to protest outside the Knesset. This is on top of the weekly demonstrations every Saturday night in Tel Aviv and dozens of other locations all across the country that have consistently drawn over 100,000 people. There is a real fear of real economic damage to the country. The shekel is losing value, and Israelis are starting to move their cash overseas. This is a real thing. All of this seems to be falling on deaf ears inside the Netanyahu coalition. Clearly, uh, see the first point above. Uh, and efforts basically pleased by President Isaac Herzog and others to halt the legislative blitz and engage in good faith negotiations have been spurned by the government. It'll be interesting to see if the demonstrations this coming Saturday night grow even bigger as a result of this past week's events. Third and finally, the Palestinian Front. A very deadly day in Nablus in the Northern West Bank earlier today, and like I said, we're recording this on Wednesday, an IDF arrest operation into the old city of Nablus ended with 10 dead Palestinians and dozens injured. Israel, for its part, claims six of the dead were militants from the Lion's Den organization. It was the single deadliest day for Palestinians since last month in the Janine refugee camp, uh, for those who remember that particular IDF operation. We're now bracing for some kind of armed response, like after that Janine operation, possibly including rocket fire from Gaza, but potentially, in addition, terrorist attacks in Jerusalem, the West Bank, or even inside Israel. This all happened, all the above, in just the past three days here in Israel. Let's get to Tal Schneider. Hi, Tal. Welcome back to the Israel Policy Pod. Hi. Hi, Mary. Uh, so I know you've had a busy week, Tal, and there's a lot to get into this episode. Uh, but honestly, uh, I probably say that at the beginning of every episode, but I think this week uh, probably more true than other weeks. Uh, but I wanted to check in with you on the political side of the current crisis and the current moment here in Israel, 
uh, obviously over the government's judicial overhaul slash destruction plans. And you're a very good person to talk to uh, about the political side of things. Uh, so I guess my first question to you, uh, you were in the Knesset this past Monday uh, when the Netanyahu government moved forward with this first batch of legislation with uh, its judicial overhaul package. Um, Monday, they passed a few bills in the first reading. Also earlier today, uh, they passed a few additional bills. So my question to you, Tal, right off the bat, what did you make of the scenes, uh, both inside the Knesset on Monday, uh, from the coalition and also opposition yelling at each other? It got uh, quite quite heated. Uh, and also the scenes outside the Knesset uh, with tens of thousands of Israelis protesting against the government plans. What did you make of the of the entire episode on Monday? Right. So I was at the committee on Monday morning, listening to Rotman. Uh, actually, I was when I was in there, it was quite a polite hour, maybe the only hour that things went polite for the entire month. Uh, at the time that I was there, uh, MK Rotman did not yell at anyone. Everybody spoke at their turn. Very rare sin for these days, I have to tell you. Um, and Simcho... Simcha Rotman, just for our listeners, is the chairman of the Knesset Constitution and Law Committee. He's a religious Zionism uh, official and politician who's leading the charge inside the Knesset Committee for this uh, judicial overhaul package. Right. And the the scene and the images and the footage and the videos coming out of this committee for the last two months are not nice. Uh, Rotman has been uh, very aggressive and uh, leading the event in a um, very freak, freak control way, if you can say, uh, not letting anyone speak to the, the length of the things. It's not, it's not a nice debate. It's not a, it's not a good debate. It's not a in-depth debate, uh, unfortunately. So when it looks I was more there, like it looks more like a Israeli street corner than it does right. parliamentary debate. So that the, the hour I spent there was fine, but I've, I've been watching this committee for the last two months, and and I have to tell you, it's not it's not a pretty sight. Uh, they are changing Israel's constitutional regime from bottom up and up bottom, and they're doing it in in just like a month or so or two months. Um, the discussion is not deep. It's it's um, it's kind of. Um, as I said, aggressive, and um, and it's moving very, very fast. You know, uh, Rotman is uh, riding forward, not listening, not looking to the sides. It's just, you know... Um, Full very, steam ahead. Yeah, and and uh, and they brought it up to the to the plenum on Monday evening to for uh, for the vote. I mean, it was voted on in, in the committee. Then it was brought up to the to the plenum, and in the plenum, it was um, again it ran very fast by one a.m. On Monday night, they had two bills voted on on the first uh, hearing, what what we call the first call or the first hearing. The bill needs to go back to the committee and be uh, pushed more, uh, maybe debated on uh, for maybe, we don't know if it's the debate will be a week, two weeks, a month. We don't know that, but it needs to be further debated. Um, on Wednesday, um, they put forward uh, three or four other components in a private bill. This is the different procedure. It's not very different. It just has, instead of three, three hearings, it has four hearings. So there is a preliminary, preliminary, sorry, there is a preliminary, preliminary hearing 
that went on mm-hmm. on Wednesday um, for other components. So all together, and, and it's all passed. So all together we have, and we now have the uh, override clause passed uh, a first hearing, I, I mean, a pre- preliminary hearing. We have um, the Supreme Court uh, will not be allowed to get engaged in any decision to nominate uh, a minister, even if this minister was convicted several times, as we know, with the this is the dairy, Arya Dairy Bill. It's This one has passed. We have the um, limit of power of the Supreme Court not to uh, disqualify a basic law, which means you can now enact anything under the title basic law, even if you want to enact the, the draft, uh, you know, the, the draft bill, or if you want to enact other things, can all go under this title because there aren't any requirements for a basic law. This is a, what we call a semi-constitution, but you know you can you can you can enact it with sixty-one. But in order to disqualify it, you need one hundred percent of the judges, and actually they're unable to disqualify it if if this law will continue. Also, uh, what else? They also change the committee. Uh, at which you elect judges, they, you know, took over the government, took over this committee. It, it, it's no longer it's no longer a balanced uh, committee balancing the separation of power between the legislator, the public uh, representative, and the Supreme Court representative. Now, if if this bill will will continue, it will be overtaken completely by the ministers of the government, and let me just tell you, it will be ta- overtaken by actually by Netanyahu personally. And that's it's a huge deal because obviously he's on a criminal trial. The people that will be elected as Supreme Court judges in this committee will have to sit one day at his uh, appeal, criminal appeal. If he will be convicted, of course, if he will be acquitted, then we don't have a problem. But if he will be convicted, they will have to sit at his appeal. So, And he will be the one who is placing them. He will be making the choices who are going to be his judges. Uh, total collapse of uh, uh, separation of, uh, of powers in Israel, and uh, you can kiss goodbye our beautiful democracy. Yeah. Um, so a couple of things I'll say. Uh, number one, if Netanyahu doesn't stop his trial before it reaches the Supreme Court, there are other ideas for future about how he he may actually stop the trial in Jerusalem District Court, where it is right now. Uh, and then just to recap, you're saying they basically passed. Uh, preliminary bills and hearings of uh, the initial part of their judicial overhaul package, which has to do with how you appoint judges, uh, the Supreme Court's ability to review either regular laws or basic laws. They want to get rid of the court's ability to review any of these. Uh, and then finally, they want to uh, reallow Arya Derry to become a minister once again. So they want to take away the Supreme Court's ability to review ministerial appointments. Um, that's basically, uh, right. from the best of my understanding, uh, Tal, uh, have you seen anything like this before in Israeli political history? Not just what the government intends to do. Obviously this is, that's unprecedented, but just, uh, both the scenes inside the Rotman's committee, the rhetoric in the plenum during the speeches, uh, p- protesters outside tens of thousands of Protesters, have you ever seen anything like this before? Um, I haven't seen anything like that before. But I mean, I mean, come on, Knesset has a very uh, tough debates in the past. Uh, for me, this is not the problem. You know, they can be yelling at each other. 
screaming, limiting the timetables of, of uh, speaking engagement on the floor or, or, or in the committee. For me, this is not the point. The, the hot debate is something that, you know, I, I take it for granted. The problem is the content of those bills. It's not like if the debate was polite and the content of the bill would pass, I would say, you know, okay, this is a due process and everything is fine. The problem is it's uh, when you are taking huge component, components of, of a separation of power in a democracy by a majority that won the election. They won the election. We all know that. They have the majority. But what they're doing, they are enacting things that are collapsing Israel's separation of power. And this, it is, it, for me, it doesn't matter if you are enacting this in a beautiful and polite manner or if you're doing it in screams and yelling and tons of people um, demonstrating outdoors. Okay, so that's a good point and a fair point, I think. Um, so my second question, the fact that the government and Netanyahu himself decided to move forward with all of this, uh, despite the pleas from President Isaac Herzog and even uh, President Biden and many, many, many others uh, calling on him and his government to at least halt the legislation and to sit down and negotiate with the opposition. Uh, what should we make of the fact that it's reached this point? Could because there were some people who were in recent weeks saying, "Okay, you know, as long as they didn't start passing bills in Knesset, there's still a chance to maybe cool the temperature and take a step back and at least negotiate something more more reasonable." So, do you think the fact that we've already gotten to this point means that all chances of compromise or uh, or de-escalation are gone? Yeah, pretty much, uh, because, you know, people in the opposition, they tell you, oh, what are we going to compromise about? Is this, are, are we agreeing for a halfway dictatorship? Are we, you know, I mean, so, some of the things that passed are just, that don't make sense at all. Um, the override clause, for example, but, you know, you can take any Supreme Court's uh, decision and just turn it over by 61 um, um, people of, uh, in the Knesset. This is 50% plus one. You can just overturn it, and you know, so people will not appeal to the Supreme Court if if it doesn't have. And this is just erasing the Supreme Court. How do you how do you uh, mitigate that? You you want to go sixty five instead of sixty one? It's not enough. You want to go seventy? I mean, do you agree that seventy people in the Knesset out out of one hundred and twenty can override any kind of uh, decision in the from the Supreme Court? To me, it doesn't make sense, anyways. Um, so. It felt it felt during the compromise um, co- kind of discussion. So what they called, you know, when the president called for the sides to come over and compromise during this time, the suggestion uh, even put forward by the president seems to me very far away from each other. Um, we do know Benny Gantz uh, said right after the election, "I'm willing to work on 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 something." I am suggesting. 80, 80 MK's threshold for the um, override clause, but only if you take off the table all of those bills that um, don't allow the Supreme Court to disqualify bills and so on. I mean, so, so he wanted to have the, the override clause, but other parts of the, com- of the, of the overhaul or other parts of this coup uh, were out of the question because, you know, it's in order to keep the balance uh, somewhere. Um, this was not even, um, the, the coalition didn't even return his calls for, for, you know, 
They don't they didn't even talk to him. Uh, they kept on saying, oh, we are here for compromise. Let us pass the first uh, hearing and then and then we will, you know, compromise. Uh, but, you know, now that they prove to everybody that they can really, you know, do it um, and they don't need anyone else, they can do just what they whatever they want. So, you know, who, who will they compromise with if, if they prove, you know, everybody that they have the powers and they can just cancel Israel's democracy? I see. So you're saying that uh, the situation is even worse now because they've shown that they can actually get this far and and essentially pass it in a matter of weeks. They can pass it too very quick, yeah. Um, so you weren't one of the people who who said that uh, compromise was the more likely option. Uh, well, we I wasn't one of them either, but but there were some voices who said that compromise was the more likely option. We heard uh, Netanyahu after the bill passed. He, we heard him saying, "My faith, uh, I'm here for a compromise." I mean, he's saying the words, but then with the same uh, manner, he is saying, "I'm here for a compromise." But I see the other side doesn't want it, and I see the other side is uh, very uh, aggressive. And he's just, you know, this is this is ridiculous. You don't compromise like like that when you send messages out to the media blaming the other side for not coming and. You know, this is just um, spinning, right? It, 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 is, it is there to say, uh, you know, our face is for peace, but uh, <laughs> let's keep all the guns pointed at you. Um, yeah, for as, example, as, he uh, said, you know, like one of those uh, statements that uh, Netanyahu gave is said, um, you know, the Likud and the Netanyahu are willing to compromise, but Lapid will only talk to terror supporters he will sit with them in the government. He will give away Israel national interest to the Hezbollah, but he will not sit and talk with us. I mean, this kind of text, you know, it's... It's not serious. I mean, Netanyahu himself was negotiating with Mansour Abbas a year before that. I mean, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, and Mansour Abbas, obviously the, the head of the Arab-Israeli Islamist Rom Party, uh, famously was part of the previous Israeli government, the first time in history. And, and yes, Netanyahu negotiated with him. Uh, but before. then he called him a terror supporter. That's the nickname they give him, a terror supporter. Yeah, after uh, after he helped form the last government that toppled Bibi. Uh, by the way, uh, I was at the Knesset last week. Uh, as part of the visiting uh, IPF delegation. And we were walking the halls and we saw Mansour Abbas uh, standing there outside one of the meeting halls in very deep and seemingly warm conversation with a senior Likud minister. Yeah, of course. So uh, one one thing when the cameras are rolling and then another thing behind the scenes in the corridors of power. Yes, it's uh, very cynical, very cynical, as you know, Tal covering Israeli politics. Yep. Uh, but but I wanted Sorry, to touch yeah. on, on the issue I wanted to touch on the issue of, of Bibi Netanyahu because he's you know he's not a, a novice politician. Right. He's been ruling uh, Israel in one form or another for the better part of three decades. Uh, he can't be blind to everything going on outside on the streets, hundreds of thousands of Israelis protesting uh economists, lawyers, judicial officials, both in Israel and internationally, saying this would be a very, very bad move for Israel. Uh, he sees the damage already on the shekel and the overall economy and the, the warnings issued by even his own Bank of Israel governor and other senior financial officials. So what do you think 
he ultimately wants at the end? Does he really think that he can just push this through, like we said, in a matter of weeks and and everything will be fine? Uh, is he perhaps going for some kind of negotiation or leverage play right before he, this all passes uh, and becomes law? Is he going for some other big move that we can't just see at the moment, like uh, bringing in Benny Gantz into the coalition and kicking out the the far right extremists like Itamar Benvir and Batsela Smotrich. We've I've heard that a hypothesis from certain people. I I should be frank. I have I don't believe that either. But tell I mean you've been covering the man for a long time. Right. Does he really think he can get away with this? Um, you know, it's really hard for me to analyze what does he want. Uh, above all, I think he wants to be. Uh, let go from his criminal trial. This is, you know, supersedes everything. I, I don't see any other reasoning for this behavior. I mean, you mentioned all of these uh, economists and former uh, attorney generals, former chief IDF. I can add to that, you know, the very strong wording from Yoram Cohen, the head of the Shab- Shinbet, the Shabak, uh, who participate? I mean, he is a right-wing, religious, nominated by Netanyahu. He went to one of those demonstrations and he said, if everything passes as it is, Israel will not be a democracy anymore. Very strong words from him. Obviously, uh, Tamir Pardo, head of the, former head of the Mossad, uh, even Yossi Cohen, the head of the Mossad, who was under Netanyahu and was considered to be his very close ally and friend, signed a letter warning from the outcome of this uh, rolling legislation. So all of these people who work for him and were very, very close to him, they are not able to understand what is going on. And, and, the, and the explanation all of them say is they think, because Netanyahu was well known for having the opposite idea with respect to the judicial system in Israel. He kept saying for the years how important it is to keep it uh, independent and so on. Yep. So all of them, they, they just say, we think this is has to do with this trial. I mean, some of them say it in a blunt way. Some of them are saying it in a more um, a moderate uh, way. But this is the bottom line. Uh, I don't see any other explanation uh, and I do not know if he is into negotiation. I think that if he will have Benny Gantz and Yair Lapid negotiate with him at the moment, then the only reason for that is to humiliate them in front of their crowds, to come up and say, you see, they told you that they are supporting the, the, the protesters, but they're really negotiating with me, so don't really... This is a way to break the back of the protesters, telling them um, you can protest as much as you want, but your representative actually is, is in, in a discussion with me, so forget about any kind of, of, of messages that you have. This is my understanding. Um, so I think the negotiation, if will take place, it's only a tool to dismantle the other side, to ruin the strict protest. That's, that's, the, in, that's his interest. I mean, he's done that before, right? It's, yeah, he, uh, he broke apart uh, the old blue and white party, Benny Gantz and Yari Lapid, uh, when he convinced Benny Gantz to, uh, to enter into government with him a few years ago, yes. And he broke up, he broke apart many protests in the past, the 2011 um, social justice, uh, social pro- yep. pro- justice. Uh, he managed to do, you know, uh, separation and, 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 and uh, separate them and then, you know, get them to 
be in a fight with each other. That's his, you know, he's a, he has a specialties in those uh, those things. Uh, right now, up to now, he was not able to calm down the protesters. And you see that Yair Lapid and Benny Gantz are both very um, cautious from sitting with him. Right. Um, two f- smaller follow-up questions on this, on this uh, well, major issue, probably the biggest issue about Bibi Netanyahu. Uh, do you think that inside the Likud, and again, we, we've heard kind of rumors to this effect uh, in the past few weeks, but do you think inside the Likud there are, let's say, still reasonable, still moderate, still responsible people who may ultimately at the end not vote in favor of these uh, overhaul reform destruction packages? Do you think there's still a hope for, no, for that? I, no, 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 no. I don't <laughs> no, no. see I don't see. I we I think maybe some of them inside, you know, talking, you know, among their maybe colleagues and friends, they might be not happy with this uh, situation, but definitely they will not uh, they will not take it to the open. So salvation will not come from inside the liquid, is what you're saying? No. Mm-mm. Okay. Um, and then the reverse question to you, Tal: Do you think that if the protests grow big enough and the economic damage is clear enough? in the coming weeks that Netanyahu may ultimately decide for his own, I guess, political and personal benefit to actually halt or suspend this legislative push. Do you think politically he'll even be able to do that? Because they've they've promised so much uh, with regard to this one issue. And Yariv Levin, the justice minister from the Likud, has, uh, has essentially been the uh, the biggest proponent, but also, like you said, Simcha Rotman and many others. Uh, by the way, also Netanyahu's son, if you follow Yair Netanyahu on Twitter, uh, he's a huge... I can't follow him because he blocked me. Oh, well, that's, uh, I guess, l- yeah. luckily for you, I, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not a very nice Twitter feed, let's put it that way, but uh, useful, okay. maybe useful to get into the mind of what Netanyahu, uh, both father and son, actually believe. But my point is, or my question rather is, do you think that if Netanyahu, the, fa- the father, actually wanted to, to stop this, that he politically could, given how much he and his supporters and his base have, have bet on this judicial revolution? I know for a fact that the ultra-Orthodox, both Shas and uh, uh, United Torah Judaism, told him that if the override clause doesn't pass today, the preliminary, preliminary vote, they are uh, out of here. Like they are just, they will step out, you know? The ultra-Orthodox so, said that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my understanding is that for at least on, on that front of the ultra-Orthodox, this is, uh, um, you know, it's, um, they said to him quite out loud, if you don't put this on Wednesday for a vote, we are not going to play play along anymore. Um I think it's basically, I think it's out of his hands uh, by now. Uh, but with that, I, I think he also wants this revolution to, to pass because he feels uh, confident, probably feel confident that it will help his own interest in the trial as per the economic economy damage that will be will be done will be you know done i think he is willing to take on this, you know probably a hit in israel's economy uh he thinks 
you know, I'm, I'm not sure what he thinks, but, you know, I, I presume that he thinks that if there will be an economic damage, it will be for, a, for, for a, maybe a short term or, I don't know, um, you know, a period of time. And, 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 and thereafter, he will be able to fix it. He trusts his own guts and his own uh, understanding and concept on how to fix it. So he's willing to ruin it in order to fix it later and come out as a, as an a savior or something like that. Um, but you and I understand, and I suppose our listeners understand that as well, that once there is an economic uh, destruction rolling, you may not be able to stop it. So you don't know, you know, where, I mean, things can take a deep dive, right? And you won't be able to, the markets is not something that you can predict and you can control. So, I mean, the, da- the damage could be much bigger than he, than he presumes, right? Yeah. And, but again, he's shown no inclination to at least acknowledge the damage that's already been wrought. And also the warnings from literally every economic and financial analyst and official both here and internationally. Um, and like he said, what did he say a few weeks ago, that everyone's entitled to their own political opinion, but but the economics and the markets are, are objective. Uh, this was a few weeks ago before the current downturn, uh, when he was still very, very, uh, very confident with the ec- I, economic indications. I can tell you that the, both him and, and Yariv Levine and other top ministers, they keep repeating the message that says, the economy is very, very strong, and we are not ruining the separation of power. We are not ruining the Israel democracy. On the, on the contrary, we are fixing it. And, and when we are done fixing it, it will be even a better economy. This is, like, this is what they say on and on again. Uh, you know, what's, what's, what's weird about this is uh, Israel's had the best year economically in 2022. The growth and, and, and everything. And if, if the high-tech in Israel is so strong and is leading Israel's uh, GDP and the high-tech is the, you know, in the, it's the quarter of the income for the taxation, taxation, fourth, uh, a, a quarter of the taxation in Israel comes from high-tech companies. They only employ 10% of the people, but the uh, uh, tax, tax income from them is much, it's, you know, the gap is huge. It's 10% employment. As, as opposed to 25% of the tax revenues, it's unbelievable gap. If they think um, that everything is so great so far and Israel's high-tech scene was so great up until now, so what is the problem with the legal system? Why do you need to fix it? <laughs> right. why, do you, why do you think, who brought us here? I mean... Yeah, it's it just doesn't make sense, you know. They are they keep saying how how strong the Israel economy is. If it's so strong, then obviously it's place where foreigners and investors are. They, they feel good to do business. If they feel good to do business, because you have a reliable judicial system. I mean, we had one. Yeah, and it's one of those uh, very Orwellian kind of up is down, down is up, black is white, etc. That. They keep saying things that don't make sense, even on even on the government's own terms. That they all of a sudden started attacking the judicial system for being a drag on the economy, and yet at the same time, Netanyahu has been in power now for over a decade. Is very 
very proud of the economic progress of Israel. So which one is it, right? Um, that's yeah, just one it's, example. Uh, exactly. It's a lot of gaslighting, really. Yes, gaslighting, our, uh, our, favorite, our favorite new word, which applies uh, very much here to Israel. All right, we'll be right back after this brief message. Israel Policy Forum works to strengthen support for advancing a viable two-state outcome to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict to preserve Israel's future as Jewish, democratic, and secure. We provide constructive policy analysis and pragmatic policy recommendations, produce credible research reports, deliver thoughtful and nuanced commentary, build engaging and innovative educational content, and create informational video content covering critical issues. We are trusted as a reliable resource in Washington and the Jewish community. To explore more of our work on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, U.S.-Israel relations, Israeli politics, Israeli-Arab regional integration, and the future of the two-state solution, read the Koplau column, Chief Policy Officer Michael Koplau's weekly article on current events, engage with our young professional network, IPF Atid, or join one of our live video briefings featuring top journalists from the region. If you rely on Israel Policy Forum for credible, informational, and thoughtful analysis, please make a gift today to ensure that Israel Policy Forum's work continues to have an impact. Donate now at israelpolicyforum.org support. Uh, Tal, final question on Netanyahu and the coalition. Uh, obviously, it's the judicial overhaul and revolution isn't the only thing going on right now. Uh, there are also turf battles inside this coalition between Betzalel Smotrich, uh, who is the finance minister and also the minister inside the defense ministry, uh, with him and uh, defense minister Yav Gallant over authorities in the West Bank. Uh, and there's also turf battles between Itamar Ben-Gvir, who's the Minister for National Security, and uh, the Israel police about policy in East Jerusalem and uh, anti-government demonstrations and the West Bank border police. Uh, so far, and I stress so far, it seems like Bibi has at least tried to hold the line uh, fending off both Smotrich and Ben-Gvir and their more extreme or radical impulses. Uh, but do you think Bibi... And Galant and the more, I'd say, responsible members of this government, at least in terms of security in uh, Jerusalem and the West Bank, do you think this is sustainable politically uh, to hold off Smotrich and Ben Gvir and not give them the authorities that they were actually promised in the coalition agreements that Netanyahu himself signed? What do you think will happen on this front? Right. We are in a very tense situation in the West Bank. Uh, we had uh, on Wednesday this um, the IDF went into Nablus and uh, we don't know all the details yet, but it was a harsh uh, um, operation with uh, lots of uh, of uh, people who uh, were uh, killed on the Palestinian side by Israeli forces. And um, I think we are expecting some revenge acts and some other, uh, you know, retaliation. We don't know yet what's going to happen. Definitely very, very tense situation. Every time there is a terror attack on Israel, you see the Minister of uh, Homeland Security, or now they call him the Minister of National Security, Itamar Benvir. You see him lo- lose his temper, his, his inability and un, you know, incapable to handle the situation. Uh, it runs from scene to scene, just screaming around orders, thinking that maybe he is the chief policeman. Uh, 
um, getting bashed by Netanyahu uh, because some of the things that he says still don't make sense at all. And uh, he wants the Magav forces, that the border police, to be under his own control. This was uh, written in the coalition agreement. It's not. It did not happen yet. Uh, obviously, the border police uh, chief uh, resists that. They say they have only one commander in, on the ground. That's the idea. If they are unwilling to move <laughs> from the Ministry of Defense to the Ministry of uh, of uh, National Security. On the other front, you have Smotrich and Garland. That's the, the finance minister and the defense minister fighting about civil um, the, the civil administration. Uh, another very delicate spot for everything. Uh, we just seen another evacuation of uh, an area where settlers just built an agriculture uh, installation uh, without permission and over uh, a territory that belongs privately to Palestinian citizens. The, the IDF took them off. This caused another uh, argument. You have this uh, announcement from the Israeli side uh, that they will freeze new settlements in order to get the Palestinians uh, off their back in the UN. All of those things, just everything uh, just happened uh, this week. Right. I mean, this is very, <laughs> in a short period of time. I, I, I can't tell you how this will be solved. I understand that Smotrich doesn't want this government to be dismantled. So, I mean, he knew one of the best recording before the government was formed is uh, everybody heard uh, Smotrich says that Netanyahu is a, a liar and the son of a liar, so he doesn't uh, tell the truth. So, I mean, he signed an agreement with someone he himself called a liar. What do you expect? Um, I, I can't tell you how it will be resolved, but definitely it's a point of contention between the parties. Okay, but like you just said, is there any scenario where Ben Gvir or Smotrich threatened to, to leave the government? to topple the government over these issues? I mean, is that a, a credible political threat to your mind? Well, they, it's not a credible threat. It's a threat that they keep saying, uh, but, you know, I've already heard the bank say it five times <laughs> since he entered, entered the, into government uh, seven weeks ago. So, yes. I, I, don't think, I don't think it's going to take place. I think that he will continue to make a sin out of everything. And uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that he, well, overall, let's say Benvir is uh, is incapable. He doesn't have any military experience. He doesn't have any police experience. He's just all over the place, um, confused and not non effective. This is what we see now from the minister. Okay, so you're saying that this will continue to be a uh, a bit of a muddle, a bit of a mess uh, of Netanyahu's own making because he promised these individuals all these things, but that uh, they don't really have any any credible bullets in their proverbial political gun to actually threaten BB with. They're not going to leave this government. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Uh, to be, to be continued uh, to see how this uh, resolves itself or not. Uh, Tal, shifting gears, I wanted to check in with the opposition. Uh, and how would you grade them so far in the midst of this uh, ongoing crisis? Uh, I think it's fair to say that in the early days of this uh, new Netanyahu government, the opposition was a bit in disarray. They were competing with each other. Uh, they were stepping on each other's toes, you know, Lapid versus Gantz versus Michaeli versus Avid Lieberman, and so on and so forth. Uh, 
is it fair to say that maybe in recent weeks, the last week or two, they've maybe gotten on the same page the opposition has as the stakes have grown? Have they shown kind of a, maybe more responsibility or is this uh, just wishful thinking on my end? I think they are um, they are on better terms, but overall, it doesn't really matter. I think the opposition at the moment is not leading the event. Uh, it's not leading the news cycle. The event is in the streets. People are out there. Uh, the demonstrating uh, faction is coming from all walks of life in Israel's, uh, you know, civil society. Also from the right wing, by the way, and even some settlers. Uh, they are protesting without, you know, really care who is sitting as an opposition leader and what Benny Gantz thinks, and they don't really care about the leaders. Uh, so the leaders of the opposition in the Knesset are actually now uh, being led by just simple citizens. They Even, if, even uh, when they comment on negotiation issues, they need to see from the leaders of the protest, what is their stance on, on the negotiation? And every time there is a suggestion by the president to negotiate, you get a message from the protesters saying, no, no way, you don't negotiate a democracy, you don't negotiate democratic values. And I think, I think Benny Gantz uh, knows uh, very well that if he will sit with Netanyahu, he will be, you know, the public will be, will just bash him, he will be done. Lapid uh, feels... Finally, finally finally done, for real done. Yeah, Lapid feels not this... Like, not like last time. Yeah. Lapid feels this as well, but Lapid is more combative than Benny Gantz, and he knows uh, perfectly well that also if he will, you know, get on and negotiate, he will have a problem in the streets. So right now the streets uh, are stronger. It's not just the streets, it's the WhatsApp, the... Telegram, the Twitter, the Facebook, and real people, thousands and hundreds of thousands of them pouring to every every little event of a demonstration. You see, I mean, these these people are they're they're all over the place. You know, high tech companies are every Tuesday are getting out to the streets on on, on Tuesday at twelve, getting out to the streets and protesting uh, out of work for one hour. On Friday afternoon, you have demonstration demonstrations in front of the houses of ministers. So they, you know, some demonstrators, uh, demonstrators stole, actually stole <laughs> and out of, um, out of commission, you know, a tank from out of commission tank from 1973, a, a tank that was uh, stationed as a, as a monument actually <laughs> uh, on the Golan Heights. They actually took a, uh, uh, a car with a, how do you call it? Like a, like a tractor trailer. And they huge truck trailer pulled it from its position. I mean, it's been, it's been stationed as a sculpture since 1973. They took it, uploaded it and started to drive with it around the country saying, we are the warrior of 1973 and we will not, you know, we will not be relaxed until, I mean, some crazy stuff is going on around. They're blocking, uh, Members of the Knesset houses, you know, on the day of the vote, some of the protesters sat in front of the houses uh, of, of members of the Knesset saying, we are sitting here, so you won't be able to go to work today. And, you know, it's um, I now hear uh, there is a list of lawyers around the country that is preparing themselves to say, 
we will not go to a trial if the judge is someone that was chosen by this new committee to, to, to choose judges, right? So we will have, we will blacklist any kind of judge that was chosen by the new committee. And, and what will we do? We will not appear in court if he is selected by this political committee. So they're now arranging this kind of listing, you know, listing for, for lawyers, do not go, and so on and so on. You have uh, uh, doctors who are protesting. You have teachers, um, educators. Um, people are now protesting with groups under their military reserve uh, units. Right. So you have people like um, infantry, pilots, um, special forces, uh, and any special forces. They are organizing. Last night there was a demonstration demonstrations of ex pilots in front of the house of the education minister Yoav Kish, who was also a pilot. Some of them are his personal friends from service. They stood out there in front of this house and said, we are all combative pilots. We are here to tell you, don't do it. And I mean, this got a lot of attention on, on, the, right. um, on, on the media uh, and on Twitter for these pilots. I mean, th- those people never demonstrated in their life, you know. And pilots, come on, they are sitting very comfortably in high-tech companies or other companies around the country. They never went out to the streets before. I've, you know, some people who never demonstrated in their life, uh, it's way beyond the professional uh, activist at the moment. Yeah, I think that was a great recap, Tal, by the way. And I think it's important for those outside of Israel to realize that this is a bottom-up, grassroots, and very widespread protest movement that isn't led by the politicians in the Knesset. It's not led by the opposition parties. And when you go to protest, you don't see political party signs. It's not like there's a labor right. party faction here and a Yeshatid party faction there. There are no political party signs. Uh, right. And so it really is uh, just regular people who are very, very concerned about the future of uh, of this country who are coming out to protest. And And like you said, I've seen it too, people who are not very political at all and who haven't protested right. in years, if ever. Maybe the last time they protested was on Rothschild Boulevard in 2011, just because it was I don't think fun. So. But I even then, many yeah. People, this is their, the first time they're, they're protesting in their life. Yeah, and it's true, and because, uh, well, because the stakes are, are so high. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also true, I think, to get back to my original question, that there isn't that much the political opposition in, in the Knesset can actually do to stop this? Um, I don't know what to tell you. There's not much you can do in the <laughs> Knesset. The, the opposition is... Uh, in the know, minority. It's a minority. And uh, if, this, if this country has decided uh, by its political um, powers to stop being a democracy, and this is by the vote of the majority of the people, this goes to teach you that um, you can get rid of a democracy with the democracy rules. Uh, yeah. This is what is taking place here at the moment. Yeah, the, ter- the people are using the democracy. I mean, we've seen that in history. People are using the democracy's um, norms and tools in order to just, you know, uh, ruin the the mere fabric of a democracy. Yeah, the uh, tyranny of the majority. 
uh, it's not just elections and it's not just uh, right. majority votes in parliament. It's uh, wider institutions and, like you said, checks and balances and the rest of it. That uh, uh, this parliamentary majority in this uh, Israeli Knesset seems to not care about at all. Um, right. Tell, do you do you think there's any credence to the idea uh, raised? I think it was earlier today by our friend Alon Pinkas uh, writing in Haaretz. Uh, he basically called for the opposition if and when these laws uh, to destroy the judicial system here pass, he wanted the entire opposition to resign en masse in protest from the Knesset. Do you think that's at all credible? Do you think that would actually do something? Um, in order to do that, they need to not just uh, resign themselves, they need everybody on their party list uh to resign, so it's not enough for them. It's also the people that are down the line mm. uh, to resign. It's a very complicated process to do. I don't know what to tell you. Um, I feel it might be a little bit uh, too early for that, but uh, if um, I am pretty sure that the you know public um, op-eds or public calls for that will. We'll see more of these uh, more of these uh, suggestions as we proceed. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Okay, so really, kind of um, radical, outside the box, unprecedented, but we use that word all the time now. Uh, steps by uh, the opposition and other office holders in Israel. Right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, Tal, final question for you, and I ask this question of every. Uh, Israeli guest that comes on the podcast uh, over the past, uh, I think, month or two. What are your own personal feelings, impressions, and the personal feelings and impressions of those people around you, whether family or friends, uh, about everything that's happening right now in Israel? I'm very stressed. I'm very worried. I'm very stressed. Um, I have a kid in the IDF. I'm worried about that. You know, he's doing combative service. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm most of all, uh, on top of everything, I'm mostly worried about this specific uh, component of the events. Um, the security situation, you mean? I, mm-hmm. yeah, the security situation. Uh, as per the economic situation, uh, I have never lived in my life in a situation where you lose control over the, you know, the... Um, how would you say that? You know, uh, yeah, I know. I know things that have happened in the past in many other countries where deteriorate, deterioration came very, very fast, and people were not able to use their own money. I see. We just seen. Uh, we just seen a, in Lebanon. We just seen a situation where in a couple of years people lost all of their values and all of their assets, and you know they can't even get, go to the bank and and get their money in order to pay med- for medicine and stuff like that. I don't think we are headed totally into that direction, but obviously things can take a downturn. I, I can't really predict what's going to happen, but definitely a bit a bit of concerns about, you know, the... Uh, economic damage. Ability to... Yeah, economic damage or ability to use our own funds and stuff like that. We were not there yet. I mean, this is maybe too panicking at the moment. But the atmosphere of all of these high-tech companies pulling out their monies and, and their investments, this is a little bit scary, I have to tell you. Right. And uh, also never happened before. 
despite all the never happened wars before. and elections never. and political upheavals here in this country. It's never uh, again. I've I mentioned this earlier, but. No, let me correct yep. you. When we were kids, uh, we were not allowed to uh, take money out of the country. We had some limitations back in the seventies and the eighties, right? But you know, it's been it's been decades that's, since those limitations. Yeah, I guess that's a fair point. The hyperinflation of the uh, of the nineteen eighties and the right. economic collapse. And there were there were limitations here at the time, right. but the economy was not. Israel was not a, a member of the global. You know, of the global uh, economic elite. Uh, yeah, I mean, those days are there. It's so many years ago. We're talking 30 to 40 years ago. I don't think we are headed in that direction, but I've seen, you know, we all have seen uh, things take a deep turn in, in Argentina, for, for example. You know, I mean, I don't want Israel to end up being corrupt and deprived of funds such as Argentina. This is an example for me. Or Turkey, for example, where a country was a democratic state and it took a, a turn to become a more religious, uh, less freedom. You know, you know, we remember Turkey from our youth when it was more open and more um, secular. Mm -hmm. And they took a turn into uh, sec secularism is, is off the table. I mean... <laughs> That's that's a huge problem. Yeah, we didn't even get into the uh, the religious laws that they passed uh, earlier today on Wednesday, uh, but that's right. another uh, for another episode. Um, okay, so yes, you, uh, there's good reason to be uh, to be concerned and to be stressed, um, and we have to wait and see how uh, how these things play out. But uh, as always, Tal, thank you for coming on and uh, sharing your insights and expertise on uh, on Israeli politics. And uh, thank you for having me. Uh, you're, you're most welcome. And I have to remind you that uh, the last time you were on, I think it was right before the last election at the end of October. And right. we, I think we were both in agreement back then that it was uh, it was very likely that uh, Netanyahu could pull it out and that the uh, the implications would be very, very severe. Um, so right. that elections have consequences uh, and we're, we're we're living with it right now. True, true that. Yes. Um, so take care, Tal, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Okay, thanks again to Tal Schneider for her generous time, as always. Also, special thanks to our producer, Jacob Gilman, and to all of you who support Israel Policy Forum's work, including this podcast. You know who you are. Just remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, thank you for listening.